0: Coming up, NBA Finals, Game 2, Rossillo, NBA Talk. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and and enter for your chance to win at michlobaltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by The Ringer Podcast Network. I put up a new rewatchables on Friday. Our schedule's a little out of whack in June, at least for uh, this week and next week, and I don't know what to tell you. But we put up on Friday, Casino Royale, my favorite Bond movie, I think. Me and Sean Fennessey and Amanda Dobbins, we broke it down. We broke down the poker scenes which have some flaws, but we dove into them uh, face first. You know, we acknowledge it. I love watching people in tuxedos play poker. I had some ideas for a possible TV show about this, but you can listen to that podcast on the rewatchables. We're going to have another one either Wednesday or Friday this week. Not sure of the timing yet. So uh, on this podcast, we have one today. I think we're going to go Tuesday, Wednesday this week, and then Sunday is my guess. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Rosillo is coming up, and we're going to talk about Game Two, Denver, Miami, and a whole bunch of other NBA stuff. We're getting close to the draft, we're getting close to free agency, we're getting close to at least one possible crazy trade. You just never know with the NBA; it's all next. First, our friends from ProJab. <laughs> All right, taping this, it is 7.5 Pacific time. Just watch game two of the 2023 NBA Finals. End of the third quarter, was are Jokic was wreaking havoc. It was 83-75. And Mark Jackson said something like, Jokic is taking over this game. And uh, we go to commercial and I go down and get an iced coffee, come back up, and it's like a two-point game. And Miami is just making every shot. This is what they do over and over again. You cannot sleep on them. I'm going to start with this. I've never seen a run like this in basketball with a team that I didn't feel like was as talented as the other teams are playing. And over and over again can summon some sort of run, some sort of accuracy bender. The only thing I can compare it to in recent sports history is Flacco, that Baltimore Ravens <laughs> year when he, just, when he just left his body for four playoff games and just like, like the best quarterback in the world. And you go back and look at the stats and you're like, How did this happen with Joe Flacco? The Heat did it again. They almost shot 50% again from three today. They're all tough shots. They're all off handoffs. They're all guys falling to the side. And they scored 36 points in the fourth quarter and flipped the game, flipped the series. And I did not bet against them in this game because why would you?
1: If you had to add it up to like how many nights they're getting nine, they're getting nine and a half. Like they, if they pull this off, I don't know how there'd ever be another team in the conversation of like NBA title winner was getting this many points collectively. If you add them all up throughout the entire playoff run, going all the way back to Milwaukee, I mean, Boston, they'd still be a 10 point dog. And you were like, OK, so um,
0: I, yeah, I you thought talking they... like the, the plus the 350 plus 300 just single <laughs> gamers, they've had like eight or nine of those wins at this point. And if
1: you, yeah, if you added them all up over the course of a playoff run, I don't know who would have as, as many times they'd they begin points. I, I thought Denver was in trouble actually in the third quarter because it felt like the game was stuck for a really long time. It was stuck on the 60s. And you're watching yeah. it, and you're going, okay. And I don't know if Denver, when they got up 50-35, like that was a massive turnaround. They were down 21-12. They were down 24-15. And then you look at it, and you're like, this is like a 28-6 to six run here by Denver. They go up 15. Their bench took over. Right. It felt like that. And and I I honestly felt like Denver just, they they let themselves get pulled back into a game in perfect Miami fashion where Miami's like, you know, we're still hanging around. We're still hanging around. And then you go to get your coffee. That was the Duncan Robinson show. He had 10 points to game. They were all right then and there. Miami, who, you know, I still think we look at the offense sometimes going, will they have enough to carry him? They had 29 points in the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter at yeah. Denver. So like they were, this is, they were nine for their first 10 field goals in the in the fourth. That's not they only nothing. missed five shots. Look at their shot yeah. chart. They only missed
0: five. And that was towards the end when it was kind of over now. I really like how they play, you know. Like it, it reminds me a little two thousand fourteen Spurs ish, where just guys are moving in all different directions and over and over again, they're just banking on the other team to fall asleep, which is what ha- was happening the Celtics over and over again. Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I will not, I would not send that one to the Basketball Hall of Fame. That Michael Porter Jr. game today on both ends, I think he had five points offensively, defensively. He just would get lost over and over again on those. You know, the Heat just they keep just sliding those guys. You just look away for a second. All of a sudden that guy sliding one way or or two guys go with the guy who's cutting through and then the other guy slides back. And I don't know how it keeps working. We have a big sample size now at this point. They played five games against Milwaukee. They have five or six against the Knicks, seven against Celtics, two now against the Nuggets. And it still is working. The BAM just handoff stuff and all these guards, they're all unafraid. And Caleb Martin had, I think, three points tonight. Yeah. Right? It was that so huge he's cooled throw. off. Right And and his, his mojo just got transferred to Gabe Vincent, to Duncan Robinson for a quarter. Lowry made some crazy 26-footer. They're always the team that they get fouled on the three because you stepped on their foot, but they never step on anyone's foot on a three. Um, it's just, how about the play when Bam throws a terrible alley-oop in the last five minutes, hits the backboard, just comes right back to them. Like this, at some point, you can't stop what God wants to happen. And it just seems like God is like, I like this heat team. Just, just, I'm just enjoying this. And it's very Flacco esque to me. This is what the Flacco Ravens were like. It's like, how long can this keep going? Well, they just won the Super Bowl.
1: Right. And then it was weird because then you had to like be like, is he good? And then he definitely <laughs> wasn't. And then he wasn't. I remember Van Pelt and I got in an argument about it on the air. He was like, are you going to finally admit he's good? And I was like, I don't really want to. Do it. I have to? Yeah, I was like, I didn't know he was going to turn into Joe Montana for a month. I was like, that's weird, but you know, that's that's four games. That's one guy. Uh, this yeah, is, this is this now is,
0: two months, right?
1: This is incredible. And I I actually think, you know, some of the threes are tough, but I think some of them are wide open too. And yeah. you know, Denver had a stretch where it felt like they got a little annoyed defensively. Like, okay, let's let's start closing out on these guys. And you noticed a difference. I think that was in the third quarter at some point because I felt like Miami was stuck on 66 points forever. But everybody, like, again, that game got really stuck in the third quarter. I was like, God, this is taking for long. Like, really long. Nobody's scoring. Like, this thing is really stale. And this is exactly what Miami wants, you know. The crowd kind of wasn't into it. You had Denver making some weird mistakes. Even though I think against the zone, they get good catches initially. You know, it felt like the two adjustments were – Don't let Jokic pass. Let him shoot. Okay. And then Kevin Love starting the game prevented them from getting caught in some of those awful mismatches with Aaron Gordon and having his size and ceiling deep at the rim and just getting these super easy catches because you would have a smaller perimeter player going up against Gordon. So I think the Love thing was part of that, and you know, look, I never think really anybody is going to get swept because I just think the mentality of of the teams today and the players are like, all right, we got these and guys. The threes, and them.
0: the threes, make it hard. Threes. Threes.
1: yeah, you're right. Like, I, whenever anybody's like, oh, so you think it's a sweep, and I'll be like, shit, I, I'll still think it's six games sometimes, even if I don't think the teams are close. But for Miami to do this, and you know, we've seen. Look, this is the first time Denver's lost at home in the playoffs. um You know, we'll see what happens to them on the road. It hasn't been a factor really at all they they closed out la they closed out phoenix in dominant fashion they didn't have a very good road record this year so you know i've kind of put that concern to bed here but just really impressed miami just i don't you know i don't know what else to say
0: what's if you're denver what are you what are you concerned about i would say number one porter and kcp when they play like that they almost don't have a chance. Like, they're going to make a big deal tomorrow on all the shows about how Jokic had only four assists, and they they turned him into a shooter, not a passer. I actually thought he should have more assists. Nobody was making shots except for Green and Brown came in, but he wasn't on the floor for some of that stuff. Um, I thought Porter was just awful. And I think Malone is going to be kicking himself when he watches this tape tomorrow because I personally, I just think Bruce Brown, when 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 Porter doesn't have it, I think you kind of know in the first quarter. Do you feel that way? You've watched Porter even more than I have. You yeah, but You know with him sometimes.
1: Yeah, but I'd say you don't though, do, because there are games, and you're right. He stunk tonight, and he'll have stunk. games where you're like, "Oh my god!" And then he's getting lost on those those threes where you could see how pissed the other player would be. His teammate would be like, "Dude, right. what are you what are you doing?" Like he, but. I have seen Porter have like two points going to the third quarter and then he goes on like a twelve oh run.
0: He did it in so, the Lakers series once. I yeah. just thought they needed defense from that spot more and I, I liked the way Bruce Brown was playing. And uh I actually think they made a mistake not playing him over Porter down the stretch. So that that was one thing. The the other thing that I thought was interesting because like when I went to that game three Lakers series and they they just weren't getting any calls. But they kept their composure and I was really impressed. Right. It's like, oh, this is like a championship thing, right? They they could get rattled. They could go the other way, but they, they're not. I thought they lost their composure tonight in the fourth quarter because Miami is making shots. They were annoyed by that. They didn't get a couple calls. The game got super frantic and chaotic, which is what Miami always does. And I, they seemed a little rattled to me. Like I didn't. I didn't love the offense they were running. And then as usual with Denver, they did this in the Minnesota game that they almost came back and scored, where they could just score 12 points in two minutes and pull the and all of a sudden it's a one possession game again. But for the most part, I thought that fourth quarter was the worst quarter I've seen them play all season. Miami made some good shots, but Denver was also, I thought, a mess. So if you're coming out of that game, it's like what what could we have done differently? I don't know, like settle down a little bit, but also like I think that Porter Bruce Brown thing is gonna be kind of a kind of an interesting crunch time call for them. Because I think Brown's better for them in the in some of these situations if Porter doesn't have it. I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah, Porter he still only played twenty six minutes, so you might be on to something just because, you know, that's that's not a lot for this kind of game. Um and I do think they got really frustrated, you know. <sighs> It's kind of weird, like when you'll go. All right, which teams are the biggest complainers? I'm, I'm like kind of all of them, you know. Yeah, but like on the
0: low end of that though, usually.
1: Yeah, but Jokic will will get pissy throughout a game, and he kind of gets away with it. Then I think Murray not getting the goaltend, and then there was another play where Butler Butler flopped on a drive. Um, when he got it, it looked like there was contact from behind and he kind of just fell down and then he got the free throw. And that was after he just right after he hit the three because there was a stretch there with Jimmy Butler where I'm going like, Hey, is this guy's ankle like to the point where you can't rely on him? Because now, you know, yeah, he was like
0: it, three for 13 at one point.
1: Yeah, you're right. So I, I, I was like, Man, I don't know if they can go to him. And yet it didn't matter. That's what was scary. It's like, Okay, so what happened? Oh, Miami went crazy in the fourth. Oh, what happened? Well, Jimmy Butler, not really. He had the three, he had the and one, he had some nice passes tonight, but he's had long stretches now in both of these games and I don't know if it's the ankle where I'm like, I expect to notice you a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem like he has his same kind of touch around the basket that he had in some of the earlier series. There was a couple of plays today where he just like was flinging five footers off the backboard, but he still, he can summon it for these little stretches, but I'd be interested to see if we find out, like we found out this weekend that Randall was hurt way worse in that Knicks series than they let on, right? He had arthroscopic surgery this weekend. It's like, oh shit, his ankle was that bad. I'll be interested to see how hurt Butler was. What I liked about what he did today, and I want to talk about him historically in the next in the next segment. Um, he still controlled the game. He wasn't shooting well, but I felt over and over again he just gets in the paint. He kept doing that baseline drive where he'd find shooters, and it just he's always going downhill and downhill downhill. And they don't really have a point guard. He's basically the point guard. But I thought he had a a better game than the stats, if that made sense. Even though he was a little sloppy around the rim, I just thought he kind of controlled the game and kept them around. Every time it looked like Denver was going to blow it out in double digits, they would just kind of crawl back and it would be like six again. And they were just able to do that for two quarters until they made a run. Yeah, look, his passing is great. He's as good as
1: anybody, I think, kind of going with that behind the net hockey thing with the baseline where it's Steve crazy. Nash, Steve Nash, I always thought was like the best at it. And it yeah. really opens something up because you're just, you're so comfortable. Rondo and you is can good see, at it yeah. But the other great advantage is like defenders still have to look at you because you're so close to the rim. Even if you know that you're probably not going to go and try to make a layup, like by coming inside and being in the front of it. So that means if the defenders are watching you, then it's kind of, as long as your teammates get it and they cut like he and bam have that down perfectly. Um, and it's actually really, really tough to deal with. So yeah, I'm with you. I thought his passing was good, but I guess I'm still expecting some of those moments where he could just put guys in the blender, with drives like there's Mm. just nothing you can do with them. And, it might be the size of an Aaron Gordon, where I feel like sometimes he has the ball and he's one on one against him, and he's like, "eh, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get a clean look at this," and so he turns down some of the drives where I felt like there were drives that we were going to see from him earlier on. But I was, I was watching him, and I, I
0: do think something's wrong with the ankle. I really do. Yeah, I don't but, think he's a. It just seems like his touch is a little off, but it's not mattering him. Not mattering with him going by people. When we talk about um the mentally tough. Basketball teams. Usually we use that phrase for football, right? Like mentally tough. Oh man, that team over and over again. Like the Belichick, the oh three, oh four Pats were like that. They, even though they won all those games in a row, they had the win streak, they won the two Super Bowls in a row, but a lot of the games were close. A lot of them were like three point games, seven point games. But they just found a way to win these games. And I, some of these games Miami's winning where I I don't know how many wins they have at this point. So this is one plus, so they have 13 wins. And I would say those 13 wins, maybe 10 of them. I thought there were points in in each game where I thought they're, oh, they're done. They're going to lose. And something about, I don't know, the makeup, the guys they have. I know this is what everybody's been talking about the last couple of weeks, but it's really unusual for basketball when you don't have like a superstar. Because usually the, the superstar is the one that gives everyone else the confidence, but they don't really have a superstar right they just have a bunch of really good players who play well together but they uh man it just feels like they think they're going to win you even saw bam after like he's just had the chest out he's like i told you he was like yelling at somebody um this is going to be a tough one for denver i still think denver's better and i still think they're going to win the title but um i thought this was one you got to finish this one today it, it the, the worst case scenario would be is this has a little Dallas-Miami 2006 game two where they had the 10-point, 11-point lead member and then Dirk brought Dallas back and it just kind of subtly flipped the series and then it just completely changed. But That would be my fear if I was Denver because I think they have a better team.
1: Yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, uh, it's unfortunately the same conversation if you're a Heat fan hearing us go like, hey, we think the other team's better, but it's okay. Like, I, I don't,
0: Right, I mean, you're it's, playing it's, better. It doesn't matter who has right. more
1: talent. Right. Uh like that that Highsmith and Love and like at one possession Zeller and Lowry were back-to-back buckets. And you know, you're watching this play <laughs> out and you're going, "What the like, What, is, what is this?" And they needed it, right? They needed it that whole time. And I I think one of the things I really liked, another thing I liked about Miami in this one was just how comfortable Bam is like, "Oh, okay, so this is how we're going to defend me." So, like, I have time to make the right decisions. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not getting pressured into a situation where, where they're contesting out on me because they don't have to defend me like a shooter. But uh, he's, he's been great. Some of that two man stuff he does, again, and some of the other passing, despite the one that almost broke the backboard, um, he's making some great plays. And then there was even a cut with Duncan Robinson where they ran something where Duncan Robinson cuts, and the guys were so freaked out to defend Duncan Robinson on the cut that they left, I think, Vincent wide open for a three in the fourth right. quarter. And then they ran it again, and they were like, oh, like we can't do this. And it was really smart, I thought, from Bam, because then it looked like he had Duncan Robinson on a cut, but I think Gordon was with him, and Bam was like, just just couldn't pull the trigger because he's thinking, okay, size-wise, like I don't even think. So, you know, the read was there. He could have made it. It could have been turned over, and you still would have been okay with it. I just thought he was was making some awesome plays, and it's kind of a comfortable spot for him because Jokic is not going to pressure into him. He's just not.
0: Yeah, they were basically running the same play that Denver runs with that Murray-Jokic high screen, except Miami somehow in that fourth quarter figured out a way to bother that. I haven't seen anybody bother that all season. They, they had like this extended zone out there and they were kind of leaving Jokic, you know, basically like making it so they couldn't do that little handoff play. So then they put Jokic like basically in the foul and like, okay, great, then we'll take this. But then they figured out a way to at least bother that one too and push the game into the corners where the Nuggets didn't really have anybody that was playing that well in the quarters. Like if Porter played well today Denver, they wouldn't be able to do that in Denver 1, but they kind of stiffed that out. And Jokic ends up with 40, but, um, or 41 and 11 boards. He took 28 shots. I I just don't feel like he's. It reminds me of the when the Spurs did this to Nash in 05. Like I, those guys just aren't happy when they're taking 28 shots. It's not the ideal Jokic game. He's not like cool. I went 16 for 28. That's not <laughs> what he wants. He wants he wants 23 and 17 and 15, and he wants everybody else to do well. His so, first Miami, shot.
1: His his first shot in Game One was the loose ball with three seconds left in the quarter. That was his first shot. He had three field goal attempts at the half, and they were up seventeen.
0: So you're yeah, right he he's he's definitely saving stuff for the second half now. I think he learned a lesson. In the Lakers series. Let's take a break, and I want to talk about Butler and Jokic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and. and enter for your chance to win at mclobaltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. I had all this stuff prepared because I thought if the Nuggets won tonight, they were becoming interesting historically because they, uh, they were undefeated at home until tonight, right? That's a shorter list than I thought. If you go back uh, really since the 80s, uh, the 2017 Warriors were 9-0 and at home, 96 Bulls, 10-0, 87 Lakers, 10-0, and and the Celtics were 11-0, and that's it. And I was thinking like, man, if the Nuggets like, win this game and even win it convincingly, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that comes with that. Them being up 2 nothing, them being undefeated at home, them having like a really transcendent player. And I, I felt like Monday had the potential to be this whole, holy shit, or the nugget, like kind of a, a better version of what happened with the 2015 Warriors. Like, holy shit, like not only is this happening, but look at all these teams you can compare them to. And then of course they lose, uh, <laughs> which kind of puts it in perspective. <laughs> how uh, how amazing those other teams were. I told you uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, I thought this was the best team I'd seen in person in five years. I still think they're going to win the series. But I'd, I, I, I just wouldn't bet against this Miami team anymore. Like for the people out there, the young gamblers, I just think they're a stay away officially. They're like the guy at the poker table who's just making all these weird bets. And you're like, man, that guy's, how's that guy winning? And he just keeps winning. At some point, you just gotta put your hands up and just watch it and wait for, uh, wait for this to play out. Don't you feel that way? Like I, how can anyone think this is gonna stop at this point? It's been two months.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, after tonight, I kind of gave up. I was like, all right, I guess it could happen. Like, I guess it could actually happen, even though I thought because right. I was like, well, Boston's soft. They're a mess. They turn the ball over. They don't know what to do at the end. For the coach. Yeah. yeah. They they've never seen a zone before apparently, and then didn't adjust to it later on. It's the same opponent. They're probably gonna play zone again. You guys know you still have to play them again, right? Right. So, um, yeah. I mean, if we want to go back and and think, like, I mean, this is only one game. You know, in since when Phoenix, like, even when they were losing against Phoenix, whatever they swept L.A. So we're on like three or four weeks of not seeing anything wrong with them. Even the Minnesota, you're right. The one game they lost, they came back and what got that to overtime. So and but, even this game,
0: they came within. You know, Murray had a, a three shot to tie the yeah. game. Right. Did you? Would you call timeout? Because I was surprised they didn't, and it does feel like we've entered this new era of trust. Trust my players, which I'm fine with, but I didn't think there was enough time this time. So by the time they got over half court, there was like seven seconds left. I I would rather have the timeout and be able to move into a play faster, so I have a chance to get a rebound, something like that. Um, it was an okay shot. It wasn't great.
1: I thought the shot was okay, so I didn't. I didn't have a huge. It was time fine. With the timeout it was like a B minus. But. I mean, when you're doing all the prep that you can't use unless they win it like in five games, I guess you could use it. Maybe you can use it for six games, not seven. Um, Like, would you go, hey, they only had 53 wins, or, oh, they were under 500, or they were actually kind of average on defense, or, you know, like any of those things that you were kind of, I don't know how you watched them this year and didn't at least go, I wonder if any of this is going to come back to Burnham, and it didn't. The last month
0: was really concerning. But yeah, and, we, or, and we just couldn't tell why they took their feet off the pedal but like that you saw the stats about game 1 how many open shots Miami missed and then today they made a lot of open shots and if i'm wor- if i'm worried if i'm a denver fan or if i have money on denver all the open shots in the two games would be what worries me because we didn't see that get fixed basically for four, for 8 quarters
1: yeah I, I mean miami this isn't supposed to work offensively Like, this isn't supposed to be something where you're scoring 40 on the road in a closeout quarter going into it down. Like, when I look at their profile, I'd be like, okay, maybe they held the other team to 16 and they scored 22. Or maybe they hit a bunch of threes, which is certainly what they did here tonight. But it's not even a Jimmy Butler takeover game like the closing quarters no. against Boston in games 1 or 2 or what he did in Milwaukee we were wondering if they were going to waive his waiting period to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean that was the kind right. of shit he was doing against the Bucks. So to not have that be part of it and still be that dominant, you know, I I I'm I'm with you. Like n- none of this is a surprise about how we've picked Denver and how we feel about them in comparison to it. But it it feels a bit like a wake-up call here, but I also wouldn't be shocked if Denver smashes them in game 3 but you know yeah I, and i'm not I, sure I, how
0: much i'm not sure how much home court matters for miami they're the all-time home court might not matter in any playoff game they play so denver could go in there and, and lay the smack down i the the three point shooting if they are able to do this for three more playoff wins just these games of i don't know how many games at this point where they've been 18 for 35 from 3 16 for 32 17 for 31. It's, it's, this was a team that shot 34% during the season and didn't have hero. Now, the funny thing is if they brought hero back and that screwed them up and sent them into a tailspin. So let's do, uh, I want to do Butler and I want to do Jokic historically. Okay. Because um I was thinking pyramid. I like to make my pyramid list every year in June as the finals are going on and try to think what's at stake for like the best guys. And Jimmy's Jimmy's got the four third teams. I think he's got a second team. He led them to the finals in 2020 when head to head with LeBron. Almost made the finals last year. Um, almost almost beat uh Kawhi and the Raptors in that round too. So he's had, he's had some good playoff runs. Now he's got this one. It feels like he's he's in the hundred now for me. Like I I, I might I might have moved moved some uh moved some C charts around snuck him in there really yeah who's 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 out I don't even know I mean I have some bad news for uh for big shot Rob he's finally been bounced he was 84 when I wrote my book but that was 13 years ago but I I think I think he's finally lost so I I had I had Jimmy in the basically somewhere in the mid 90s depending on where this goes
1: hey Jimmy Butler's definitely better than Robert Ory just yeah you need if you need my help
0: well when I did the 09-2010 I wanted to reward the awesome role player guy right but right. now it's now this is stupid. Um so yeah he's in I got Parker and I got Manu and I got Clay Thompson and Bobby Dandridge and Jimmy Butler and then I got Tracy McGrady right in front of him and Paul Westfall right in front of him. Like those guys were first team all NBA guys who were in the argument for these are you know one of the best five players in the league for a couple years in a row. But anyway, what an improbable turn of events for that dude right he goes 30th in the draft he, he as recently when you we started doing podcasts again when uh you started doing stuff for the ringer i mean philly trades for him they basically give up nothing it's like covington and sarich and <laughs> jared bayless that was the trade right and then miami basically also gives up nothing for him it's like kassan whiteside and josh richardson and future first and then over the last four years turns himself in this unbelievable bladed asset. I think he's one of the best 100 players ever. I don't even think it's an argument.
1: Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, you know, this is always one of those things. I'm going to just agree with you because I'm not going to be like, no, I got him 117. Sorry, dude. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I, no, he's
0: not like NBA 75. I, like if we were doing the NBA 75 list this year, I don't think he would make it. But look, he's an honorable been- mention guy at this point
1: when you think about the talent of Milwaukee and you think about the talent of Boston, you're like, actually the heat have been the ones that are in the finals twice and a bucket away from making it a third time, which right. would have taken away Boston's one performance where Boston seems to really like being in the Easter conference finals. Um, You know, the, sure what, the, the only bad run of it was when Milwaukee just put it on him a couple of years ago. And it was it the first round. And yeah. so, and Butler you know, was
0: bad. Except there was other weird was bad. stuff that was going on well, that series. But you know,
1: this it's pretty funny when you think about who Boston's supposed to be, who Milwaukee's supposed to be, a little flirtation with like who's Philly, the Brooklyn stuff that's never worked out, and yet for this four-year run, this team goes into Denver, gets one tonight, and you're like, yeah, like this has been kind of the class of the East, and yet it's always felt like we had different options, um, and just yeah, not we never case. felt
0: good about it. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. If you if you look, go back to summer 2019 and there's a bunch of pieces moving, right? Because that's the year um, Anthony Davis gets traded. That's the year Kawhi signs with the Clippers, which leads to the Paul George trade as well. And if you just said, all right, these, these guys all switch teams. Kawhi, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler one of these guys is going to make two finals and three conference finals. Which one would you pick? Butler's the fourth pick. Like you would, right. you would have actually thought that was going to be Kawhi and the Clippers easily. Right. Oh, that forward's going to make the, but it was basically like he took Kawhi's mojo coming out of that, uh, that season. So anyway, um, whatever happens for them, even if they lose in five, I, I think he's just vaulted to another level. And it, it even happened a little bit before this but even watching that game he played today it's just I love when guys are awesome when they're not when they're you could tell they're not 100% and I would say he's like 80% so that's one the other one was Jokic who I just kept putting him over guys and he's kind of he's higher than I expected I'll just say that
2: like I have him in the top 25 now you have Jokic's 25, top 25. I'm in the time. top
0: 25. I do. I do. Um, like, you watch that game he played tonight. or that. Let's take the last two games, two finals games, right? He's taking pieces of some, some of the great finals players we've ever had, and he's just making a souffle of those guys. Like, he's got the 77 Walton, he's got the 2011 Dirk, and he's got the 86 Bird passing post-up stuff. And he's just using all three of those parts. I think the effect that he has on his teammates, and just how with these stretches that'll have, like the game he had tonight, um, it's just ridiculous. Like I, I, he's at for me at like really close to the highest level. I mean, he would have to win the title. I, I factored this in, like assuming Denver wins top twenty-five. If they don't win, nudge him backwards a little bit. But I, I think we're now in that territory. So we're talking guys like. You know, Carl Malone, KG, Bob Pettit, Julius Irving, Elgin Baylor, Dirk, Giannis, John Havlicek. Like from a talent standpoint, I think he's there. He's got the MVPs. But it was just kind of jarring as I was making the list. I, oh, he's better than that guy. Oh, he's better than that guy. And he just kind of <laughs> kept going up. It was like, like He's about as reliable of a dominant offensive force as we've had in a long time. Like, what, yeah. what would be a bad Jokic game at this point? 20 points, 12 rebounds, and nine assists? Like, man, Jokic sucked tonight. No, it's wild
1: because he's, he's now reached a point offensively where I feel like every possession is the right possession. Like, I never feel yeah. like, what the hell was he doing? That was yeah. wrong, or that was a bad shot, or, oh, he forced that, or what did he do there? I mean, I'm, I know he had one out of bounds tonight, but for the most part it's like 2 hours of watching a guy that doesn't make mistakes that has the ball this much. You know, there's even shots with Steph where I'll be like, "Ah, you were you were just feeling yourself there a little bit." You know, um all the great players do yeah. some stuff where you're going to be like, "You know, Giannis pulls up from 3, or Bails you out in transition with a jumper and you're like, why did you not just keep even though he goes to the lane constantly." Um Luka some of the step back stuff with Jokic, he's as good as those guys, but he also, I feel like everything he's doing is under the premise of making sure it's the best possession that you could have. So if you're talking career-wise, he probably gets dinged a little for how much longer it took him.
0: Yeah, he's 28. I'm I'm projecting, like, just assuming it's going to take... If he'll he's he'll this, probably have five, six more years at at this level or around right. this level, right? Well, if,
1: if he's going to be like this and maybe wins another MVP along the way then 25 would probably be the low end for him when he's all done. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. So I don't think the, that's... The other one that's in there is Giannis, who I think is ripping off a similar arc where I just assume, unless there's a catastrophic injury, this will keep, he'll keep going around the level he's at for the next few years. I The thing with uh, Jokic that was important about these last two rounds is you know, all the diehards and all the people who were the Jokic kind of touters, he still needed to do it on the highest stage, you know, and that, that was the last piece. And you, Unfortunately, that's just the way it goes. You got to, you got to be as good with all the lights against the best possible competition, the stuff he did against the Lakers and then the stuff he's doing in this series, like he, he kind of needed it for the resume, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, but it is isn't unfortunate, you know, like if you're going to be this guy and you only have one Western Conference finals appearance four years ago and it wasn't even close, like, yeah, you know, eventually you need to kind of do this. That's why I always think the Jimmy stuff so fascinating, because we don't really ever talk about him being one of those guys at the top, which is fine. I think that's accurate. But then this happens and you're like, well, this is weird again but yeah. he also kind of skates he skates like if he were considered the fifth best player or the fourth best player in the league all the time if we actually talked about him like that then we'd be like well how come he doesn't win more <laughs> right but with him it's like "Yeah,
0: he's in the perfect spot
1: yeah right he wins just enough and he does not in a way that's that's so impressive I'm surprised you liked him as much as as you did tonight but I don't know I don't know if that was the prep because I, I would agree about the passing but I just maybe I'm holding him to this weird standard of I no we I agree wanna, that I he was sloppy. him. Yeah, I just want to notice him. around
0: the rim but that, but I think what I liked about him is that he didn't play well but I thought he still had a huge impact on the game which to me is like I'm always more impressed when you can do that when you're like I don't totally have it but how can what are three other things I can do to make the game and I I thought he controlled the game offensively and uh you know like Lowry in the first half was an abomination. He's minus 21, right? Gabe Vincent was good. Other than that, they don't really have anybody who can create anything for anybody else. Caleb Martin crashed back to earth, which Raheem did that before. It uh, was the, one of the bets before the series. Caleb Martin's points per game, the bet was over under 15 and a half. Oh, wow. And, and Raheem was like, I'm shorting that. There's no way. <laughs> like, hey, There's no way he can do that two series in a row. You, you do think like, all right, what makes somebody cool off? If you're Caleb Martin and you have just this incredible run against the Celtics where you're, you're basically outplaying Tatum and Brown. You're phone, everybody you've ever met in your entire life, you're probably hearing from over the next two days, right? And people just all over the place, like almost like managing what's happened to your life becomes part of, you know, your preparation for trying to get ready for the finals and all that stuff. So I always feel like we underrate how that would affect somebody. Even like Derek White after game six. He has that crazy play. Like anyone who's ever met in his life, he's going to hear from over the next forty eight hours. How does that affect how you get ready for the next game? But right. anyway, he's if if he had played anything remotely like this in the Boston series, the Celtics are in the finals. But that's the crazy thing about this Miami team.
2: Yeah, right. I, I mean, they got
1: they basically for that series got an extra superstar out of nowhere, <laughs> like. They got like
0: they got hey, Kawhi Leonard for a right, week.
1: Who is your team? Oh, this, but there's a guy who turns into Spider Man like for two <laughs> weeks, and then he's he's not going to be that again. And also, like, uh,
0: where where is Gabe Vincent for you as a free agent now? Is he like a ten million dollar a year guy for you?
1: Would you rather max him or Harden? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, love I don't know how you did it, but you got a hearted joke in there. It was great. I'm proud of you. I think he's like a $10 to $12 million a year guy at this point. Right? Yeah. What, what else do you need? Like, wh- who's the guy? Uh, Tyus Jones.
2: I think uh, he signed for
0: like $15 million a year.
1: Yeah. He's got another. Yeah. He's not a free agent. I love Tyus. Jones. No, but I'm love, saying love, like love, that's, love.
0: that's the price range for like a good non all star point guard, but somebody who's definitely a winning point guard. So Gabe's I think somewhere between 10 and 15. I bring this up because you know, we did that second apron stuff last week and Miami's going to have some some tough decisions. And I think Kevin Love is a max player again. I think he showed that today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I don't think you're serious about that. I uh
0: he did have 9 and 10 and a couple great outlets. Cavs didn't he need did. that. They they did. They, but, didn't. But they were fine. You know what though? I like you know, for
1: all the times you try to figure out like who's a good coach and who sucks and all that kind of stuff, like we all know how great Spo is. And then you see something where for Spo, especially when it turns into a win, you're like, All right, that's great. But if it was somebody else and they, they lost, you'd go, So let me get this straight. You couldn't even play this guy a minute in game one and then he's just starting power forward in game two. But I really think yeah, he's the all over the place. Yeah, right. Uh so I, I just don't know that we're consistent enough with it. But I le- I think at least for this series with that size, like just from the jump, seeing Aaron Gordon seal everybody in game one where you're like, oh, this is going to be a problem. And like they can do it when the and primary they defender, it. they can do it at a switch, they can do it. And then it's like, no, they're just going to put a power forward out there instead of another guard. And that changes a lot of the, the cross-matching, you know, depending on even what your your primary assignment is. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, there's, it worked out. It worked out. And, uh, you know, the series is... <laughs> You know, they won in Denver, too. They, they won in a place that nobody wins. They came back. It looked like after a great start, they were going to get run out of there, and they just they slowed it down enough to stay in it, and then they looked like the, the far superior offensive team. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I looked up. It was like they have 29 points in eight minutes in the fourth quarter at Denver. So not many teams would do that.
0: I was looking at uh, Pat Riley. And I was doing some Pat Riley research, which I think a lot of people know the details. There's some stuff out there like Chris Herring had in his book about, you know, he took over the heat in 1995. The Knicks were kind of flaming out. Like he kind of knew he'd sit in the wall with that Knicks team. So Herring said he asked for 50 million over five years and a 10% ownership stake. And nobody knows exactly what the deal is, but he definitely had a pretty hefty stake in the team, which he might've sold in 06, or might've sold a piece from. Um, But the heat to that point, they were 0-2 in playoff series. They had a high of 42 wins. And since they did that, they lost in the Eastern finals in 97, 05, and 22. They made the finals in 06, 11, 12, 13, 14, 20, and 23, and they won three titles but I put down like all the stuff he did. It's pretty impressive. Like you're talking like a quarter of a century, but did the morning race trade. He did the cycling for Hardaway trade. He did that sneaky Lamar Odom signing when something got screwed up with Anthony Carter, his agent did again. All of a sudden the Miami had Lamar Odom. He drafted Wade with the fifth pick in 03, which was not a slam dunk at the time. Like there was some Chris Kamen buzz with that pick. He traded for Shaq. When Shaq was super expensive and there were only a couple teams and it was like, is this guy's body breaking down? He did it anyway. He built all the cap space for LeBron and Bosch, hired Spolstra, did that Drogic trade, which got them into the finals a few years later, picked Bam 13th, and then he pulled off that crazy Jimmy Butler thing. These are 10 things. Like 10 like really, really elite executive things. And I'm not even talking about the heat culture side, but um, you know, right around then was when Red Arback. Really got pushed out with the Celtics, and I would I would say, Riley's probably the the successor to that kind of over and over again has been able to figure it out. Team, that's yeah, my Riley monologue for you.
1: No, and it's and it's good. The New York thing, you know, for people that are younger, don't you understand like that was a big deal. Pat the Rat, the whole thing, then Van Gundy getting to go up against them, like it was nasty. Because what he do? is fax his resignation in. And well, there
0: was some the- stuff. He had a year left on his deal. Right, right. He was definitely talking to Miami in the four months leading up to the end of the season. So there was some shadiness with that. But they also wouldn't give him a piece of the team. I mean, he was really smart about, I want, uh, you know, I deserve a stake in the team if I'm going to be running everything. Right. I actually deserve a stake. And nobody was thinking like that before. So he kind of invented that. Um, but you trace back that back to the Knicks. You know, maybe in retrospect, they'd take the reset button on that one. Hey, hey Pat, here's your steak. Maybe keep them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, So anyway, it starts with that, and it just keeps going through. And then, um, you know, this the the fact what he saw in Spolstra, how he stuck up for Spolstra, and uh, and all that stuff. Pretty cool. Any uh, any other finals things you want to hit before we move on? Um, any big picture stuff? Anything catching your eye? No, not do you really. You wish you were I, there.
1: Uh, yeah, I do wish I had gone, but
0: you know, Denver, or like Miami, that. which which city? Probably Denver. I think the Denver thing would have been fun. I didn't. I don't know because it's always hard to tell on TV, but it didn't seem like the crowd was like incredible for that game. I thought they were awesome.
1: I mean, usually, look when you're losing. And you're losing like they are the entire fourth quarter. I, you just don't think you see many crowds that are super like because they're sitting there going, "Is this really happening?" It's like South the worst Brent. feeling. I agree. Right. So Brent. whenever you know, whenever we do these body language things, we're like, "Oh wait, the team that's losing and is bummed out doesn't look like they're having fun." No way. <laughs> you know, like that's just the way it goes. Uh but yeah, I don't. I don't really. Like I think I have anything left other than. You know, I I want to watch the zone stuff again because I felt like some of the zone results were a little overrated from game one, but it prevented them from being able to go kind of into their two man game, which is the default what they want to do on their offense. And you know, it, it was it was crazy. I, it, that fourth quarter is crazy. So uh, here we go. One do more. you think that's all I have?
0: Do you think any NBA team, any other NBA team, will try to emulate what they did with the zone? Do you think it's emulatable, or do you need a certain type of coach and certain type of players? Like, could I'm trying to think of other undersize, another undersized team. Like, could Dallas do this with Luca as a way uh, to, to to cheat having Luca on on your team defensively? Or yeah, I think Luca. You know, be the could Atlanta def- do it?
1: I don't know. Luca would be the worst defender. Trey would be the worst defender in Miami. You know, like all of these guys. You know some of these dudes that had to try to find a way to to have any kind of career. Well, guess what they couldn't do: take off possessions on defense. Sure. So it's like, hey, you're a two way. You're an undrafted. You're a, you got cut by the Celtics. Like you got to play defense. And even Duncan Robinson, who you know looked like his career was over here. The great thing, the classic Heat thing is going to be they're going to trade him and like actually yeah. get something of value from him when he looked like he was one of the worst contracts in the NBA. So uh, yeah, I do think I do think the zone. There has to be some buy-in, but I'm a big believer in it. I'm a big believer in it. I mean, look, it just took it just took Denver's offense out of rhythm for like a good stretch here, even though I Which still... Which we didn't f- know it was possible. Right. But I still felt like they got good looks, but it wasn't them kind of predetermining what they wanted to do, where I thought the zone stuff, like the backups killed it in game one for Denver. And then there's there was the stretch in the second half where Miami ran the zone with Jokic where i I know the numbers probably said it was really successful. I didn't feel like I thought they were really good looks, you know, like wait, is it score or is it the other team's getting good looks and so I think they've they've both gotten good looks in these games against it, but uh, i'm I would uh I would wanna do this if I were another team. I'd be going, how do we do this how do we how do we implement more of this stuff in there because it seems to be a real weapon because the other team's just never ready for it, so I don't know if and we'll we've see talked
0: it about this before, but the the other thing is the I would press with my backup unit. I would have a specific like full court ball pressure thing. The heats have fucked around with it a couple of times, but we watched this work when the Patino, when <laughs> that was like the one interesting thing of the Patino era in Boston, when he had that in the first season, when he had that weird press with all the athletes and it was effective. And maybe it's something you only have to do with like the seven through 11 guys on your bench or something, but I, uh, I think the case for more zone it, it it kind of puts the game in a blender. It just, it makes, I, I don't want to say chaotic because it's not quite chaotic. It just has a different kind of feel and momentum to the game. It just doesn't feel like a normal basketball game anymore when it's happening. And I think you, it like disrupted Denver in a very subtle way that I hadn't seen from them. And I watched a lot of Nuggets this year, but they, they seemed a tiny bit disrupted. So, all right, we're gonna take a break and then uh, we're gonna figure out what Portland should do. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/sbs. BS. That is simply safe with two S, slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need have coverage options to protect the things you value most file claim right on the state farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone like a good neighbor, state farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right. So Scoot Henderson went to Portland, and this is one of the more interesting decisions I've seen with a team in a while. We've talked about it already, but I really want to dive into it and, I think you and I are the co-GMs and we have to decide what we'd do if if we were running Portland. Like the Paul Allen's niece or whoever, whoever owns that team, they're just like, you know, I don't like my GM. I'm, I really like these guys on the Sunday Night Pods. I'm just going to let them decide what we do. <laughs> uh, to me, it's pretty clear what they should do is trade Dame and draft Scoot and have Scoot and Sharp and Simons and just kind of kind of rebuild around that plus what they get for Dame. The weird thing to do would be to to take whoever's left, which probably will be Scoot, and just have them and Dame, Scoot and Dame and Simons and Sharp, and I don't know what you're trying to do at that point. But very rarely do you see a team with a specific like, all right, we have a week and here are the two paths. Do we want to be good? Or do we want to like kind of reboot and rebuild? So if you if if you're gonna keep Dame, I don't know how you also have Shade and Sharp and the number three pick. I don't know what those two assets do for you if you have this window with Dame who's entering his mid thirties next season. What would you do?
1: I I wouldn't want to keep playing uh this, this Dame game every year. Cause, you know, to be fair to him, right, it's not it's not like he's pulling an Aaron Rodgers every offseason, right? No. And it's probably more of us from the outside. So like, even though this feels like it's been going on for years, cause it has, it's not really his fault. You know, it's all of us just wondering. And then there would be like a Chris Haynes update every now and then. Right. Where you'd be like, what is he saying here? Is this like a hint that he wants out or is he doing the deal where he wants out, but he, he doesn't want to ask out, which is kind of like the Garnett stuff that happened in Minnesota, you know, 15 right. years ago. It's but like, almost the,
0: like the, mar- it's like the martyr move
1: yeah, but with with him with him being at 45, 48, 58, 63 million <laughs> the next four years, I wouldn't want to be paying him that because that might be devastating. And what's our version of good if you're Portland? Hey, everybody's healthy, everybody runs it back and then what we're in the playing game? probably. So I would want to get off the Dame contract now because I think it's going to be horrifying
0: yeah well and also what's my goal in the west where I'm in the same conference as Jokic who's clearly going to be at this level for the next six years right I have Wembenyama coming in yeah I but have, I'm not
1: where I'd be like
0: whatever well but three years from now I got Wembenyama God only yeah, knows but, what that Spurs team's gonna look like sure I have but, New I mean, Orleans you're... team with a bunch of assets I have OKC with a shitload of assets you know, so long term, there's going to be teams that might have better assets than me. Short term, I'm not going to be better than a team like Denver, or at least the Lakers next year if they bring their guys back, and who knows with Memphis. And so I, I don't even know which error I would target. I would probably, probably move toward later, and and hope that somebody panics and gives me too much for Dame. Would be, would be my hope. I just don't know who
2: that team is somebody would do it. I mean, somebody would,
1: cause he's that good. And they would be like, I will worry about the rest of it later. Like I still think Philly and the Harden thing, like with their contract, I think Daryl's just going to go, whatever. I don't care. Like I'll just trade him. You know, if it's a bad number at the end, somebody else will trade for him. I'm not going to worry about it. And he's done that a couple of times in the past to get his guys. So I do think there'd be teams that are Really interested in Damian Lillard, but I'm I'm more, I think we're on the same page here. That it's like in the best case scenario of events, everybody's healthy. They keep Grant. Everything's good. Nurkic actually plays all the time. Sharp takes a jump. All of these things. Uh, I don't really think that team's probably any better than than in that six, seven, eight range. They just right. don't defend. Even if- they, they don't. The small guards, man. They got two really small ones. And Lillard has no interest in being a defensive player at all. He just doesn't.
0: He yeah, like even a if they were... They were able to talk the Celtics into like a Jeremy Grant sign-and-trade with the number three pick for Jalen Brown. I don't know where that gets them. Right? Or if they did, I don't know, number three and and, and sharp for... Jalen Brown or Paul George or, you know, some established star. I still don't know where that gets them. Does that get them to round two? Does it get them to round three? The move, you have Sharp, you have Simons, you have a number three pick and a three player, and then it drops draft. And you can turn Dame into a shitload. You know, unfortunately for them, I don't feel like Philly has quite enough for a Dame trade, which you wouldn't have said a year ago. But I think now I don't know if they have enough. And if you go around the league, it's kind of hard to find a fit for him because I tried. I looked around. I was like, what about this team? What about the, the one that makes sense is the one we talked about already, which was Atlanta. Now we're going to end up on Trey Young's new podcast, but well, if it was a Trey and Dame as the, as the principles of it. And then if you're Portland, you're just, you're basically getting a much younger version of the explosive offensive player you already have. And if you're Atlanta, you're solving the trade Dejounte thing. You're bringing Damon. You don't care about the money piece of it because, you know, you want to be good. You have an older team that fits better with him, and that might make more sense. I don't think, you know, Miami is another one that you you have to take seriously because they have the Hero and Lowry plus a lot of picks, and they just have a tendency to keep grabbing these dudes. Um, other than that, it's pretty hard. You go around the league, it's it's hard to find a team.
1: Unless the Knicks said, "Hey, let's do it. We'll go R.J. We'll go another one of the guards."
0: Yeah, but you can't have Jalen Brunson and Dame Lillard as your backcourt. <laughs> like that's—I wouldn't. That think team's so, not but... going anywhere, right? Now there could be a three-teamer where if it, if it was like Embiid goes to the Knicks and you know Dame's going to the Sixers and and we did a ring around the roses. Yeah, thing, but I, why is Dame going to the Sixers? That never Embiid's happens. Not going to be there, right? Well, that's the thing. It's. That never happens. Then the, the only other one, and it I was trying to think, how does he get to Milwaukee? And I couldn't figure that one out either. And then the only other one, and I swear we it always seems like we're bringing this team up because Sarudi's on the podcast, but you know, Dame and Orlando with the with the assets they have, the problem is the, their young guys aren't quite where they need to be with yet, but they have the assets to make a Dame big ass trade if they wanted to.
2: Yeah, but
1: not a trade trading- that would make sense
2: for Portland.
1: What would it be, though? Because they're not trading Franz or Paolo.
2: You think Suggs, right. Fultz, you know, like... You don't
1: think they, they would have...
0: trade Franz and Six for Dame?
1: No, I don't think they would.
0: I don't think they would. Cause, Saruti, cause can you they... chat us whether... Saruti said, I would not. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. You go through and it's... <laughs> what about Ingram and... uh? Brandon Ingram and Dame.
1: So now you're going to have CJ and Dame on the Pelicans
0: again? This is the problem. This is the problem with Dame trades. So you read this stuff, it's like, well, they might trade Dame. And it's like, to where? For who? Go through all the teams. It's way harder than you think. I mean, there's a Memphis. There's a Ja, but Ja getting suspended. I don't know how many games he's going to be suspended for, but could that be an out for Memphis? Um, And then, I don't know. What do you think for the Josh, Josh Spencer, by the way, what, what is your prediction?
1: Uh, it'll be more than I think it should be. I think it'll be heavy unless silver was just coming down as like a leader and teasing as if he was going to throw the book at him Uh, for whatever reason, the last few years, I think for those of us that do this job, there's a race to like show how down you are with punishment. Like you want more punishment than the other person. So I think 20 games is egregious and people seem to think that's like not enough. Uh, I, you know, you can not like him. You can think he's an idiot. Uh, I, I do think there has to be kind of the applicant, unless there's way more to this that I don't know about, but considering what we all know that he's been dumb enough to do, like you really think a guy should lose half of a season because of some Instagram videos like that to me is insanity, but it's it, like, I don't know. It's just weird how punishment plays out where it's this contest to see who likes who takes punishment the most serious doesn't mean i like Ja doesn't mean i think any of this shit's cool doesn't mean i don't think he's made huge mistakes and has to figure some stuff out the interview with Jalen was terrible the uh the fake stress, rehab stint was terrible yeah, st- stress rehab like they're they're doing all the stuff they think they're supposed to be doing pr so i don't like any of it i don't like any of it and because of that i think people also don't like any of it they're like oh yeah the half the season or whatever like I don't know half the season that seems like I think 20 games is going to be a lot if he gets that
0: you and I haven't talked about this and we actually agree like to me 15 games seems like a shitload of games for this yeah right are we are we the only sane people here because I feel like I'd see
1: just commentary about it and I think when you go on tv like something fucked up happens to you I really do where you're like, you have to show how serious you're taking these violations. So then you, when you're on TV, you have to be like, dude, if he misses the whole season, you know, and I'd be like, what are you talking about? You don't have to like anything he did. You could think he's the dumbest guy in the league. But there still should be kind of a line where you're like, okay,
0: that's too far. You can't suspend him half the season for this stuff. Well, the part I don't get is he, nobody was being hurt or threatened or anything in any way. Like he was just acting like a jackass. Well, the Washington
1: post article, which I've heard so many different versions of what that is or isn't. I don't know what it means. I don't don't know know what it means either, but they
0: already, they already litigated that. So this is a second offense where he flashed a gun for a split second. I, would I be happy if this was my son? No, I would not. Um, do I think he should lose half the season? I, we don't. We weren't privy to what they talked about when they suspended him the first time, and there might be more stuff that we don't know about. For, but from what we know, it seems insane. Like the the arenas, <laughs> right. the arenas thing. I was like, I get it, man. That's fucking crazy. They had guns in the locker room. And they're threatening to shoot each other. Like they, like yeah, I get it. I don't really get this other and because the other piece is obviously there's something really bad going on with this guy and to you know this is we grew up in the 80s especially and i'm a tiny bit older than you but we grew up with a lot of dudes especially nba guys who threw their careers away or threw portions of their careers away just making dumb decisions or they were addicted to a chemical or they just had bad judgment or whatever it was so this is the nba i was used to they we don't see it anymore because these guys they have such a better support system around them the league is so much better about kind of helping them when they come into the league. Um, Social media makes people way more kind of self-aware about how they're being presented into the world. So this is just less common. But honestly, if you're comparing this to stuff in the 80s, like this is like a one out of 10. So unless we know more, I just don't know how you lose half a season. That's what makes me think there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more stuff that hasn't come out.
1: Yeah, right, based on what we know and what we've seen, but when Silver went on TV and kind of teased that he was going to, like, layeth the smacketh down here, you were like, that oh. that was
0: fucked up, too. Do it on a Friday after game one. Like, why are you saying, like, oh, we don't want it to track from the finals. But so instead, we're going to have everyone talking about this for two weeks while we, you know, before we unveil what we're doing. I didn't get that either. I thought that was a bad idea. All of this is stupid. And, you know the 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 biggest offense to me was when he went away the the bogus Jalen interview I love you, Jalen, but that interview was ridiculous, and the bogus rehab stint where it's like he's fine. It's like what rehab clinic works for five days is Is this a rehab clinic everyone, anyone's heard of? Usually when people go to rehab, they go away for like a month or they go away for six weeks or they really try to work on some shit. It didn't seem like he worked on anything. So is that his fault, or is that the team's fault, or the people around him, or everybody? You know. But should the guy lose forty games of a paycheck? I, I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't either. And I, I think what happens is when you're like, "Hey, that's that's a," is, then it like immediately becomes, "Oh, you're okay with it?" are like, "No, I'm not okay with it. I think it's really stupid. I think it's really stupid." I don't know, I don't know what the goal is. You know, sometimes when we sit and we try to figure out the motivations with different athletes and sometimes it will be like, maybe, maybe,
0: maybe it's being intentionally self destructive or who the fuck knows, but clearly, clearly something bad is going on with them. Right.
1: Yeah. That's the part that I think you're right is the scary part. And if they have way more info and they know more about it than what we know now at this point, which of course they would, but. Like, you'd have to go, if they really hammer him and say, okay, he's going to be out half the season, but is there a chance he can come back earlier? I don't know, depending on him going through stuff. But, I don't know, maybe, maybe we just saw Silver hint at that he was going to hammer this guy and and we're all off base and that it's it's still only going to be 20 games, which, again, I still think is a lot, but uh, we'll
0: see. Yeah, because the point you keep hearing when people talk about this stuff is how does this stuff happen? How does somebody you know, how does somebody risk everything? And I'm amazed it doesn't happen more often. We're putting, we're putting these people in the spotlight now. I mean, sometimes the kids are 16, 17, 18. They're in the spotlight. It's too bad. He's certainly one of the most fun players we've gotten to watch over the last 10 to 12 years. And it looks like he's poised to throw it away.
1: Yeah, that's the other part of it is that it's not just that he's a star. Like he's one of the most marketable stars. And Nike felt like they kind of wanted to reset the decks with three players, you know, or four, I guess you could say, between Zion having a shoe, Luca having a shoe, Tatum having a shoe, and Ja having a shoe. And when I was yeah. in Chicago for the combine, like I went to, you know, I just went to Nike and Michigan Ave because I wanted to, you know, go to the Nike shop. And I'm looking around and I was like, how are these Jaws doing? He's like, we sold out of them. You know, wow. so I was like, okay, I think they had one color away that was sold out. The other one you could get, um, there. And then I was like, well, how are the other shoes doing? He's like, his shoes are selling better than Tatum, Zion's or Lucas, but you know, you're also in Chicago.
2: So I was like, yeah, I guess so.
0: Well, in the eighties, when stuff like this happened with your best player, they traded the guy. Right. And a lot of times, like especially like during the cocaine era, if the guy had a cocaine problem, they would kind of hope the other teams to know about it and try to <laughs> sneak trade him. Like, hey, you're interested in Michael Richardson? He's available. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I think we trade him. And then all of a sudden, you know, he bounces around from Golden State. He goes to uh, he ends up with New Jersey. I think he might have gone. Bernard King went to Golden State and Utah, came back to the Knicks and then cleaned his life up. But they were able to do a lot of stealth stuff. I don't think you can do any stealth stuff now. And I'm sure there's some teams out there that are like, hey, should we trade for Ja? How do we get him? Should we go after him? Um, If you're Memphis, you had this unbelievable setup where you had him and and Triple J and Bain and you you made some good draft picks. You're feeling really good. And now that's all flipped upside down. And I'm with you. It seems like he's going to get suspended 35, 40 games. And we haven't talked about it, you and I, on this podcast just because I hate talking about stuff when I don't know what actually happened. But the way Silver handled that thing this week, it made it seem like he, you know, if he suspe- got suspended for the whole season, I wouldn't be shocked, you know? Like, they, it seems like they're taking this, like, incredibly seriously because there's a piece of this now where it's like, I cut you some slack on the first one and then you did this. So it's a little, like, Spygate to flake Gatey, where the, the second penalty is going to be way harsher because the guy feels like they lit up on the first one a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's a good analogy because you were like, wait, what happened? on the deflate gate stuff and then you dug into it all and you're like this is ridiculous this is a um, revenge
0: suspension basically right
1: yeah. right that's that's what it felt like so with this because you know when the first time i don't think i've talked about it at all on my pod either because i'm i'm with you in that clearly there's more information than the information that you or i have but um the first time he was at shotgun willies in denver outside of denver uh I don't know if it's technically in Denver or not. But anyway, um, the easiest thing in the world was like, hey, that's not my gun. Like if you wanted to play that, it was going to be really easy for you to not have to get in trouble for that. You know, you could just say, hey, sorry, it's not mine. You know, what are you going to do? Can't prove it. The authorities weren't going to do anything about it, right? The NBA is like, we can't really do anything about it. And then for it to happen again, you know, in the same fucking way. But that seems and like a just, cry
0: for help to me. That's not like normal behavior, you know? And then, then there's been so much emphasis on mental health the last 10 years. So then how do you judge whether that's even a piece of that or not? Because clearly the guy's not playing with a full deck these days. So how do you, how do you even handle that? How do you discipline that? If he's willing to intentionally sabotage his life, how do we even address what the reasons are for that and whether you should be punished for it? Because clearly there's way more going on. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's crazy that he did it the second time. Right? To me, that just seems like somebody who's, you know, trying to sabotage their own life.
1: Or they have a friend who's really bad with the phone. Right. <laughs>
0: you or, know, maybe. or maybe, like, who knows? Maybe he was super high didn't know what he was doing. Maybe it was a toy gun. But the way Adam, you know, kind of presented it a few days ago, it seemed like more somber than maybe any of us were expecting, right? Yeah. Almost like they have more information on it than we're privy to. Um, All right, we'll take one more break and then we're going to do a little game we played last year that we're running back. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps, choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drum roll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you roll. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each, price and participation vary, US only. or its affiliates. All right, so last year at this time, we played a game, like literally this month, 2022, we played a game, worst GM jobs, the GM jobs you wouldn't want to have. And the parameters were talent of the roster, salary cap situation, what's your owner like? What market are you in? What's your success upside? What's the ceiling of the job? So we went back and I listened, it was really funny, the order we had in 2022, we just went, we traded picks. You had the first pick and you took Sacramento. You thought that was the worst GM job. And I, by the way, agreed with you. We just were like, Where, where's this team going? And I think at one point one of us said, well, they have the fourth pick, so that's good. But for the most part, seemed pretty grim with not a lot of movement potential. I, with my first pick, I took Washington. I, still, I think I got good value a year later. Still feeling good about that. You took Phoenix third because you didn't know what was going on with them long-term, what was, how the Chris Paul thing was going to play out. Obviously, now they have the Duran, and that's a different situation. I took the Lakers with my second pick. Um, didn't anticipate Austin Reeves turning into, um, you know, the, the free agent steal of 2023, potentially. You took Portland. I took Utah. And we had a whole conversation about what do you do with Mitchell and Gobert, not realizing they were about to trade them for 200 picks and a couple future All NBA guys. You took Philly only if there was a hearted Max. You're very careful. Like, it had their hardened Max has to be involved. I took Brooklyn. And laid so out the whole
1: case. Is, this on. is all, right. So this is the beginning of June, 2022. So it's was yeah. before free agency it happened. Right. Okay. All
0: right. And I was like, I don't know what's happening with this Brooklyn team, but it feels like they're headed for a cliff. And like three weeks later, KDS for trade. Then you took Charlotte. And then with the 12th and last pick, I took Atlanta. Not a lot of those teams are going to be left in the worst GM job draft for uh, 2023. Also a little harder to figure out 12 teams this year because I think you know, like San Antonio, if they had gotten the fourth pick instead of the first pick, would have been probably the first pick in our draft. Now they're not gonna get drafted. Um, I'm gonna give you the first pick again. What GM job would you not want heading into uh the draft in free agency right now? Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Cause I think, well, one, the whole reason Sacramento was the answer last year is because of Eve. All right. Um that was a big part of the conversation. And then Monty McNair ends up winning executive of the year. So uh, they did a great job. It was awesome. You know, Good for the Sacramento Kings. But I still think the owner part of it's such a big, big factor. And even though the Hornets are supposedly going to be sold here, uh, the Jordan run's been terrible. We've been over it. You have some weird basketball decisions that you have to worry about. And on top of that, you're probably going to max out LaMelo because he's Ooh. your star. He's your, Uh, your, you'll have to do it and you, you don't want to do it. So, uh, that would be, that would be my first choice.
0: Would you trade Jalen Brown for Lamella Ball?
2: No. Would you trade Jalen Brown for Lamella Ball and Gordon Hayward? His expiring? Hmm. I don't know. Gordon
0: doesn't stay healthy, man. I wouldn't do either trade. I'm just. Yeah. I was trying to think, like, if if Charlotte decided, you know who's awesome? Scoot Henderson. Let's take that guy, number two, and we'll trade LaMelo. Like, what? I wonder what they could get for LaMelo. Okay.
2: With my first pick, this surprised me.
0: I'm going to take the Chicago Bulls. Wow. Well, I don't know what their move is. They don't have a first-round pick this year. They lost the Franz Wagner pick. DeRozan's in his mid thirties now. Uh, I'm not a Zach Levine guy. Just feel free to put that on my IMDB or wherever you want. <laughs> He's certainly fine. Uh, just not personally my cup of tea. He might be yours, just not for me. Um, there's talk about a Vooch extension, which made me super nervous. That was in the, uh, in the news. I don't know if Patrick Williams is going to be good, and I don't really know what the moves are with this team. From a roster standpoint, there's a lot of other rosters I wanted, and a couple of the other teams that I was thinking about, I was like, well, at least they have a top seven, top eight pick. So, I'm taking the Bulls second. You were surprised by that?
2: Yeah, but as you talked it out, like, they're they're definitely
0: kind of stuck right now. I just don't want to be in no man's land with the team I'm taking over. And I'm also right. not convinced that that team ever wants to spend money. What was that thing? They've, they exceeded the luxury tax like once in 15 years, something like that. So um, I have an owner who doesn't love spending money. I don't have any first-round picks. And the Lonzo Ball thing was just an all-time bad beat. Doesn't seem like he's even coming back. So, all right, who do you have?
1: Yeah, the Lonzo thing sucks. Uh, this is going to be weird. You're going to be surprised I'm taking this team as high as I am. Um, but I'm going to take Minnesota. Oh, I, I just even with that,
0: our guy Edwards.
1: I know, even with our favorite player. But you know, Gobert's going to be 41, 44, 47 million. And then Carl Anthony Towns, who you know, I'm just not a huge fan of 36, then 50, 54, 58 million player option for 62.0 million. Uh, that's in 27, 28 uh conley they have to make a decision on his contract so there's some depth stuff there um in, look jaden has been a nice story for them but for him to like be really something you're gonna have to see a little bit more from his offense as well and that's with one of my single favorite players in the league like if i give you my list of five favorite players in the nba anthony edwards is on that list so you factor in those two guys you already know this and the draft picks that they moved out i think the scary thing is they're gonna have to like We already know Milwaukee's at some point going to have to reinvent this thing on the fly with stage two or three of whatever Giannis is. I don't even know if Minnesota will be able to do it in a way that helps the rest of the roster when they have to kind of figure out who they're going to be. Because I think Edwards will be that good. And pretending that he's not the number one option as they move forward is probably just a waste of everybody's
2: time.
0: You made me think as you were talking that out, does a town's Dame
2: trade make sense? Maybe,
0: and you then know, Portland I, takes Scoot, and you put Dame and Edwards together with with a Gobert as a center, and you got McDaniel's, and um,
2: it's not nothing. If you're Portland,
0: I'm probably hoping I could get more from Dame. Towns is like 27 at this point. I Feel like he is what he is, but he's still a 25 and 10 when he's healthy. He's still a pretty good yeah, player.
1: He's still a good player. I just don't trust him. And yeah. I don't know what happens to him in games where I feel like the pressure. Yeah. He feels like it might just be the way he is so demonstrative that it's, that it ends up being worse than it actually is with the basketball stuff. But hmm. I feel like he lets you get to him, not DeMarcus cousins way where you'd be like, Oh, he's gone for the game. <laughs> like, right. Okay. We'll see you on Tuesday you've got nothing left for tonight. I wouldn't say anything was ever that bad, but uh, I look, I think there's plenty of evidence to say that those two guys, it just, I don't know, man, we've been over it. We've talked about it a million times. I need to keep going over it. I'm taking the Clippers.
0: High? No, I t- I'm taking the Clippers next Clippers so are on Ford. my
1: board, but the ownership deal, great like, owner,
0: but um, the great owner also put us in the position where I have a $210 million payroll. I have a best player who makes an insane amount of money, who keeps getting hurt and then kind of tells you when he's going to play. I have no draft picks at all. OKC just basically has all my drafts going forward for a couple of years here. Paul George is very dangerously heading toward that Blake Griffin when Blake Griffin all of a sudden had, had like seven, eight surgeries and you're like, oh, man, that's. It's a lot for one body. And then all of a sudden his career went off a cliff. I do worry about that with Paul George. He's had a lot of injuries to a lot of major body parts. And then I don't really know what else I'm supposed to like on this team. And I don't know how they have a $209 million payroll. So I don't know what the fixes are. I think the fact that Ty Lue was out there and about as being available for these different coaching jobs when he was under contract for another year was really weird. And the Clippers were like, fuck you. You're not going anywhere. Um, I don't know what the fixes are with this team.
2: The salary stuff is like,
0: it's kind well, of jaw dropping. I mean, the spot right. track, like pulsates when you look at it, when you do the multi-year contracts, the spot track start starts doing like some fucking, you know, <laughs> like Daniel Craig getting poisoned in casino Royale, like the weird shaky handicam. Um, it's pretty brutal. And then you have no way to get better.
2: Yeah. Because the, the crazy thing is like the numbers on some
1: of the other guys, we were like, okay, so let me go over this again. You're like, all right, Terrence man's ten and a half, eleven. and a 11. is worth 11 million, but he is 11 million. Covington's 12 million, Batum's another 12 million fucking Marcus Morris is 17 million. Oh. 17 million for oh. next year. Um, you know, you're just stuck. You have all of these pieces. Gordon's not even close to being fully guaranteed, but they'll probably bring him back, you know? And then, of yeah, course, at this you point, have Why not?
0: Right. They remind me of those Knicks rosters from the early 2000s when they just had so many salaries. There was just the only way to get out of the mess they were in was to trade for more salaries. <laughs> they just kept adding. Uh, it becomes like a ladder match for a salary cap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't. I, and... I'm laughing so hard because I'll never forget Isaiah going on with Mike and the dog to explain what he was doing. And they were like, what are you doing? And Dog is just like letting him have it, right? And he's going, he's like, well, what you don't realize, Chris, is when you have an expiring, you can then trade that for somebody else's contract because those expirings are really valuable. And then Dog's like, yeah, but you keep trading them for like a more egregious contract. (laughs) right?" And then he's like, yeah, but then those become expiring. Like he, he didn't understand. <laughs> like a scheme. Yeah, right, right, right.
0: And then. <laughs> and now he's running the suns.
1: Right. And so I was like, what? And then I even had Isaiah on years later. It's somebody had set it up for us and we had him on. And I was like, hey, when you did this deal here, but then you said this. And the guy that set up the interview saw me in the hallway and he was just like, he did not he thought he was just going to come on with you and bullshit about the NBA playoffs for seven minutes. And you started going through his entire basketball reference history. He's like, uh, I can't imagine. But again, he hated you way more than me. So I think I, I was in the
2: clear. We ironed it up.
1: I'm surprised. I'm surprised he didn't want to just hate you forever.
2: Nah, we're fine. What's your next pick?
1: Um, okay. This is actually where the board gets a little interesting.
0: I have a couple picks left that I yeah. really liked. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead
1: and say Wizards again. Uh, oh, that was my next one. Great value. The problem is, is the guys that you're gonna be paying, like Perzingis opting out to get more money would scare the shit out of me. I like Kuzma. Uh I like Kuzma in a certain number, and then my number one dude, your favorite player, Bradley Beal, is not that guy. He's not I know his numbers say he's that guy. But so the problem is is if you're Washington, you're like, we're paying a money for b minus players.
0: Yeah, we're, we're our big 3 is a 37 and 45 team. And right. then Beal has a no trade clause. So even if you want to get out of the Beal business, you, you still need his permission. It's tough. You never and it's so funny cuz you know this has been House's whole life ever since I've known him of them just having these <laughs> static teams of big money guys that then you can't kind of get out of the team you've created. No flexibility. This is just what the Wizards do. I think it's great value. I have no idea what Porzingis is worth. You could tell me he's going to sign for 80 for four years. And I'd be like, okay. no idea if he's going to make it two years. You could tell me he's going to sign for 150 for four years. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what his value is. I don't even know who they're competing against, but he was pretty good last year. I think he was like 20 and nine, something like that. And he played the whole year. It wasn't hurt. So wait, so, the
1: last the last time they've been in the Eastern Conference Finals
2: was was in the seventies. Yeah. It was the nineteen seventy nine
0: Bullets. Yeah, it's grim. It's it's about as grim as it gets. The Nuggets were kind of secretly grim too, but the Wizards even had them beat. Okay. Um I'm gonna take
2: Houston. Yeah, I I like this. Because it's not just about Houston;
1: it's about comparing Houston to everything else. Because Houston's at least a thought on the board. But uh, go ahead and explain yourself.
0: Yeah, well, well, the board's gotten a lot harder. So let's we'll start there. Um, right. I don't know who my. There's no doubt this guy is a keeper. Guy in that team is. They have some talent I like. We've they've had a losing record. I think they're like 42 and 140 for the last two years, something like that. 42 and 120. I can't remember what it is. It's bad. Um, I have no idea if anybody on that team can be the top three guy on a team that can win the title. They ended up with the number four pick in a draft that has three guys and then drops. They have all this cap space, but it seems like they're going to spend it on James Harden because that's what the owner wants, which is another piece of this ranking is I have to work for the owner. And... I just think there's teams that have better situations going up and down the board. I don't really know what my go. At least I have this. I don't know what that is. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to take Houston. Now, they might be able to hit that number four pick. Maybe one of those Thompson twins will end up being the best guy in the draft other than Wabanyama. I don't know. But, um, I don't know. It, it, it probably sounds a wee bit harsh, but I, out of everybody that was left on the board, that was the one that jumped out to me. Yeah, it feels
1: a little harsh until you actually run through the exercise, right? Because, um, you know, if you if you started kicking around like Detroit, you go, all right, I think they may know who their backcourt is and the other piece they're going to add to it here. Charlotte was my number one pick. Orlando, we liked their roster. Wizards, we already took. I mean, I guess I could go Pacers and go, are they going to be stuck in purgatory here for a little but while? But I'd rather
0: have the Pacers roster and right. I'd rather have their assets.
1: Right, right. So then you go, okay, what about in – the West, like I thought about maybe Dallas because of the Kyrie situation that you put yourself into where you have like, if you right. end up giving Kyrie three with a conditional fourth year on it or some shit where it's actually all incentivized and it's are going to, then I would, I would have already taken them, but I don't know what's going to happen here with Dallas. Uh, but you New can't Orleans, take
0: Dallas because of the Luka thing, because that, at least Dallas they have a guy. has to get out of jail right. free card. Yeah. they right. if, And if they have to trade Luka, they'll get more for him than anyone's ever gotten for a trade. So at least right. they know they so, had that.
1: No, they, ha- they know who their guy is. And it feels like Houston's given Jalen Green two years to just see if he can be the guy. And honestly, he feels like a talented player who was just the primary option on a really bad team. So the numbers are going to look good, even if yeah. certain nights you were like, well, I have no idea what they're doing. And so... Houston's the right call over San Antonio, clearly, with Wen Banyama, with Utah and all the picks. Dallas having a real guy. The Pelicans, despite their injuries, having a better roster. Oklahoma City, all their assets. We already took Minnesota. So, yeah, I think Houston's a totally fair one. And if they max out Harden and bring him back, I might take him number one.
0: Yeah, they, they would vault. They would vault <laughs> up the if We did the ringer draft board for this. They would vault up. All right, two more picks. Who do you have for uh, your last one?
2: Um, well, I kind of know. I Yeah, if Kyrie goes to Dallas, Dallas.
0: That's a great pick.
1: It it kind of uh, isn't though. But, you know, like I I do I already went through the exercise and said it all out here. Like yeah, having I'm a just top, saying good value. Yeah, but having a top 5 guy who's kind of like a no doubt top 5 guy, even if he's taking some dings after making it to the conference finals last year and and not getting out of the plan, not even getting into it. Um that might make it wrong, but I'm just I'm adding the Kyrie part of it on top of the fact that, you know, they, they got a Christian Wood decision to make and every other thing. So there's going to be a couple of guys I don't like that are probably going to be under contract there.
0: The fear with that trade is you wake up one morning, Luca's like, I want out. Right. Then what happens? Because the thing is, is right.
1: there's people that want to play with Luca. Like there's guys you'll hear about dudes who are like, I want to play with Luca, but there's nothing really there.
2: And that's probably why they're gonna do the Kyrie deal.
0: I don't love this pick, but we're running out of teams. I'm gonna take Brooklyn because yes, um, you know, they're gonna be missing some picks going forward. I think they're fine. They're kind of in that no man's land. I really like Bridges. They're gonna re sign Cam Johnson. I like Claxton. Like they have you know, it's not it's not terrible. They don't have like a top 20 guy. Um, They don't really have the roadmap for the top 20 guy unless uh, they can get lucky once they're back in the free agency game. But more importantly to me is just like we had this whole Brooklyn run that really started when Prokhorov bought the team and went all the way through this Durant, Harden, and, uh, and Kyrie and where they had all these chances to be more relevant than the Knicks. And then the Knicks, won one playoff series and it felt a hundred times more relevant in the tri-state area. There's just so many more Knicks fans. You're just, you're just drawn with a dead hand with Brooklyn. The only way they can change that is if they end up with one of the five most transcendent guys in the league, but they had one and it still wasn't like amazing, you know? So I, I don't, that job would just be tough because you have an owner who doesn't care how much money he spends, but you've had now, a few years of, oh, if only that hadn't happened and that hadn't happened, that hadn't happened. And now I don't really know what your nucleus is. What is it? What's the upside of that team? 45 wins max? So it's, it's Brooklyn. I don't feel great about it, but I, I thought they were the best on the board.
1: They do get some of the picks back with the Phoenix deal, you know. Yep. but they're not going to be picking uh, as high as maybe they should be with a reflection of what their record is going to be. But I feel like this was a six-team draft, and then our last two picks were, were reaches. Because I I feel wrong even putting Dallas down. Really good owner. You know, guy wants to spend the money, gets it, and you have the top five guy. You have a no-doubt guy. But if you get into the Kyrie business, I'm immediately out. I'm just out. And so my, that's kind of my My runner-up
0: road. choice for that spot was Philadelphia. Because if they lose and I don't know how they replace the asset, and now it's Embiid with Maxi and... The expiring Tobias Harris contract and P.J. Tucker. and They have Tobias Harris. I don't don't really know what I'm looking at. And the Embiid trade request kind of looming at this point. So I I was looking at them, but it's hard to put a team that has a top five guy. Same reason you had a tough time with Dallas. At least you have that asset. So you're right. So top six was Charlotte, Chicago, Minnesota, Clippers, Wizards, Houston. It's interesting. Neither of us put Memphis.
2: Yeah, I think
1: just because there's a there is a version of this thing working itself out here, and when it's they're interesting, all healthy, neither of us put New Orleans. Nah, it's too much talent. Even with the Zion problem,
0: it's a problem, right? But who would you rather have? Like, if if you're I'd on rather the phone- have New Orleans than be Brooklyn. Yeah, I'd right. rather deal with the Zion problem and hope. Hey, Zion's gluten free now. He is. That's amazing. He's down to two fifty. <laughs> he dumped over the shot clock the other day. What
1: did you see? His sit a sit down with Malika Andrews. He really understands his diet now.
0: Like, oh, he does. Cool. No more bread pudding.
1: No. I'm just kidding. It's like that's coming though. That's coming. He's going to do the sit down with somebody. He's going to talk about, oh, you know, this. I finally look, get it. Yeah, I think Luca needs to to do some of this stuff too. To be honest, Luca
0: and me. Zion are they one two in some order. And the can you get in shape, please? Malone's talked about it with Jokic. I thought it was interesting hearing him talk about. Jokic was in shape, but not 100%. And now he's in crazy shape and can run all game. And Do you remember when
1: Jokic was like, not fat Jokic, but oh my God, did he just lose all this weight after the, the shutdown right. of COVID? Remember the pictures? Granted, pictures can look really, really bad, but it all of a sudden, he like looked emaciated. And you were like, oh my yeah. God, Jokic is... Sc-. And now he's like, no. It's like actually, that, Jokic. Yeah, from that point on, he's been you know
2: arguably the best player in the league.
0: Um, did you give your succession
2: thoughts? Anywhere? I
1: listened to you. I listened to Van. I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't get enough of uh, it. And then I watched some of the episodes again this past week. And I think um, I, this, this was kind of my biggest takeaways. I, I always knew that the car thing had to come up again. I didn't think it would come up as a passing Kendall trying to tell him he made it all up so he could connect with them. And then it wasn't really ever addressed of, whether they believed him, I guess they kind of yeah. did. And then no. they were like, you're even crazier or this is insane and we don't believe you or any of that stuff. Um, going back and looking at episodes, you know, I feel for parents, right? Because there's just no way you're, you, there's no perfect game for parents. Like right now there's stuff that you're doing that your kids are going to get pissed at you about in their 20s. And then, you know, when they're in their 30s, maybe they'll be like, hey, they did a good job and maybe I can back off mm. a little bit, right? Um, but it's it's a tough deal being a parent. And then there's just being an awful one. And I think what we saw was three siblings that we were getting like a real, the culmination of the horrible parenting of them. And that, that's kind of what the lesson was, is that you know Logan kept constantly saying, these kids are fucking morons. We saw that video of him in the last season where he's like, you guys are more annoying than my dipshit kids or my useless kids. Like he wasn't a good dad. He fucked with these kids all the time. The mother was terrible. So that the goal was that none of them could ever win because they were all incredibly flawed and you could still see their flaws, but understand them because that would be a really shitty way to grow up, having a father that disconnected and a mother that was arguably even worse. So that's what
0: I thought. Good synopsis. I'm going to miss it. This is the first Sunday in 10 weeks or 11 weeks when it wasn't on.
1: I'm going to miss it, man. I'm really going to miss it. I, I just love the show. Uh, just, there's so many scenes. There's just so many scenes that I didn't even realize. Like we were talking about, uh, Sledgehammer, Carl, I was, I was out and about and some guy was like, when you reference Sledgehammer and I was like, dude, I, for whatever reason, even as a kid, we kind of knew like, Hey, I think there's something about this show that makes it special. (laughs) Like even right. as kids, we didn't have cool TV when we were little kids, but there was something about Sledgehammer. And so every time I see Carl in a scene, I like pay more attention and he's, he's unfucking believable, man. Uh, what did you, th- I, wh- where are you at with it? Other than missing it as much as I know I'm going to miss it. But, uh, well, we had,
0: I listened had to everything the last, you did. They yeah. had the last episode and, uh, and had to tape right after. So We frantically taking notes we watched and then i watched it again that night i watched like the last hour of it and i was like oh i missed that i missed that i missed that then i watched it again this weekend with some distance and the scene when they're watching the video of the dad when carl sings the limerick um that scene was incredible i actually i felt like we undersold how great that scene was when we just reacting live off the show And the conference room scenes insane that's among the uh the three craziest scenes the show's ever had when when it just like him tackling Roman and them, them kind of doing a UFC John Jonesing that going for the legs. Um, I, uh, I, that, those two scenes really jumped out on like the, with some distance watch.
1: Yeah. I I think Madsen telling Tom he wants to sleep with his wife was up there (laughs) for me. And then how was, how was Tom going (laughs) to handle it all? And then I don't think she'd mind it either. Yeah. Greg tried to make one last play for it. Uh, I didn't, I'll admit, I didn't love the last minute shiv. Like, nah, I'm out. But I think it kind of spoke to like, that was how, Van's
0: biggest problem. Van was all upset about that. Yeah. I got, I think I kind of want, yeah, I
1: think because the show, we think so highly of it. It was like, are we going to get this weird Kaiser Sose moment here? Are we going to get something that we didn't think we were going to get? And I think ultimately instead of them taking some huge swing and some clever ending that like no one saw coming, which is really kind of unfair to hope you're going to be able to pull that off. Just having Shiv be like, nah, I'm out. Fuck with these guys. You know what
0: the the pivotal scene was that, uh, somebody pointed out to me and it's really, it was probably a tiny bit too subtle, but they go into the dad's office and Kendall, Kendall goes behind the desk and he sits down and he puts his feet on the desk and they're talking with Stewie about something and he says some bullshit Kendall thing and it cuts to Shiv and she's kind of like looking at him like, oh my God. Yeah. What are we doing? It was, but I don't think they stayed on her long enough or maybe they didn't want to because they didn't want to tip off the ending. But I think somewhere in that 45 seconds, it dawned on her, this guy's not my dad. He's a fucking train wreck. What am I doing? And then at that point, it became a business decision, right? My husband will take over. I I get the sale, I get all the money from the company, but I still get some sort of like conciliary stay and waste our, it was a smarter move. I mean, she knew more than anyone Kendall's a disaster. So I thought it ringed true, but I, I see Van's point that it seemed a little abrupt.
1: Yeah, especially anyway. after they'd done this huge hard sell on us at the mother's compound. You yeah, with the blender and right. yeah, kink so for like, a day. So that scene the meal fit for a King was, was really cool. Cause it really felt like siblings, you know? Yeah. In that, in that goofy way that only siblings understand each other and everything's like on the table and nothing's too weird. Whereas if it weren't siblings, you'd be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Right. And so I really liked that scene, but I, I felt like, okay, so that was kind of a hard sell to come to this conclusion. So the big twist is Siobhan just going now nah, I'm out. And I was like, ah oh, man. But then we did get that conference room scene and, you know, it was, uh, I haven't, you know, I'll put it, where would it put you? Where's your pyramid?
0: You know, I still think Sopranos and the wire are one, two, but I think it's up there for three. I I need some distance. It's in the running for the three spot.
1: Do you like Mad Men more or less than Succession?
0: You know, that, that's part of why I, I need to do a Mad Men rewatch this summer. Have you only watched that- it once? I think I watched it twice. I think there was a second time, but I I need a third one. I need to dive back into it again.
2: What's your, what's your top three? Wire, uh, Mad Men.
1: And it's just so hard to leave Sopranos off. It's just so hard. It's funny though, on the rewatch where you're like, Tony, not a great dude. (laughs) You know, like not that this is shocking, but he's, he's just so dumb all the time. And you're like, oh, did I not pick up on this? Uh, but then sometimes, he, I, I don't know. I think it has, still has to be Sopranos. But I got really, I got, I'll admit, I got annoyed with Sopranos at the end because they were constantly selling like the gangster side of it. And the show was getting weirder and weirder. And I still liked it. But they would do like scenes from next week, which usually I wouldn't even watch. And they would show like two guys fighting or somebody showing up to this guy's house and then you'd show up and it's like a fever dream episode. And you'd go, this isn't, it's funny. Like, you know where your bread is buttered, but you actually are trying to do way different stuff with this show. So yeah, I, I think Wire, Sopranos, Mad Men, Succession, Brotherhood, Showtime?
0: Mm. One thing I liked about Succession was it actually was the right right length. Sopranos, you could have probably trimmed 15 episodes, if you're doing that over again, there there was some fat that could have been trimmed. There's no question. Mad Men was a little fat, but not as fat as uh, Sopranos. And I I still like The Wire. I, I still, I get in fights about season five. I, I just don't think the, the newspaper thing was as bad as people make it. There's so many good things in season five. People get too caught up in the Templeton part of it. Um, I still stand by the season finale as well. Yes, yeah, see, yeah, I like that me.
1: season finale because they didn't try to they were only they they were reemphasizing a point that they'd made for five years that it's just gonna yeah. keep happening. That's it.
0: The Templeton that's thing it. was a miss, but it did, to me there is a lot of other great stuff at season 5 All right. We're gonna wrap it up. You're doing you have two pods coming this week. I have two pods coming as well. Uh new rewatchables coming much later this week. I'm not even sure what movie we're doing. And this podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton and Steve Cerruti. We'll be back on this feed on Tuesday. Thanks, Priscilla.